Listen, we continue our sermon series on uh, words of wisdom on, on the Apostle Paul, a uh, power, praise, and Paul. And I have really loved uh, actually teaching and preaching on uh, um, on the uh, the Church of Philippi, uh, the Philippians, and then we turned a new chapter in uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalon- Thessalonians. And, and so, once again, let me just remind and let me teach for a second. So, we're reminded that you know Thessalonians is the earliest piece of New Testament scripture that we have. And so I shared with you all a little bit about that last week. It's actually written around 50 or 51, probably AD. Um, Paul is actually writing from Corinth and writing to his church back at Thessaloniki. And um, and so this is really, you know, it's amazing because it's written 20 years before the first gospel. Uh, Mark was probably the first written. Um, It's written 40 years before the gospel of John. So this is really, really important. And it's beautiful, um, powerful um, that we find from these scriptures. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. So let me read um, one little uh, piece of scripture to actually and teach on this this morning um, from the fourth chapter. And, and what I love about this one, uh, according to my Bible, um, I have a new revised standard version. Um, and at the beginning of this particular chapter, the title is called A Life Pleasing to God. And this is where we're going today, A Life Pleasing to God. So finally, brothers and sisters, uh, we, uh, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you learn from us how you ought to live and to please God, as in fact, well, you're doing, you should do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God and your sanctification. And it goes on in verse 7. So, so for God did not call us to impurity, but but a life in holiness. Therefore, would, whoever rejects this, re, this rejects not human authority, but God, who also gives us his Holy Spirit to you. This is uh, the word of God for the people of God. Uh, thanks be to God. Amen. And amen. So um, as I shared with you all last week, you know, I, I gave you this slide and I think it's really interesting. This is the, the Via Egnatia and I, I just love that. And the reason why I really put that slide back up there is because I finally figured out how to pronounce Via Egnatia. And so, um, and so uh, I, I just, because this is the information highway as I explained to you all last week. Uh, and what's very powerful, uh, it was brilliant on Paul's part. He actually put two churches along the information highway and the information highway is like the, the internet back then to 2,000 years ago. Here's another picture and you see Philippi on there. You see Thessaloniki on there. And so Paul has strategically placed these churches along that route in order for us, to, well, for to spread the good news of Jesus Christ from the east to the west, which was just very, very powerful on Paul's part to be able to, to do that. And so, um, matter of fact, um, we have, can you show that picture of the, uh, the map of Paul's journeys? And so I love this. This shows the, uh, Paul as he's traveled all around. Macedonia is up there where Philippi is. That's Aniki. You see that right next to it and up at the top left-hand corner. And so this is part of, of Paul's journeys um, at different places of his, uh, of his ministry. And, and so then, um, I don't think I shared this with you last week, but there's a couple of pictures of th- what Thessaloniki looks like today. This is some of the ruins there. Um, matter of fact, it's, you know, a very modern city that's built actually on, um, they've done some excavating. And then once again, this is the, the Roman influence on that community. And there's an amphitheater and they would have uh, places and coliseums to be able to do like the Olympics and so forth. And so that gives you a little bit of a flavor of what it felt like and what it looked like in Thessaloniki uh, 2,000 years ago. And we also know that, once again, uh, Paul was 
Well, Paul was a troublemaker. He was a pest to many people. Every time he opened his mouth, he got in trouble, right? And, and so um, either, either he found himself going to prison or they were somehow throwing him out wherever he went. And so this is a recurring pattern. And so we actually find this, this, uh, the image that, you know, once again, we're talking about Thessalonia and, and Paul's writing back to them, but it's actually documented what happened in the book of Acts. And so if you read in the book of Acts, the 17th chapter, here you find these words. So, but when the Jews and Thessaloniki learned that Paul was telling people God's message in Berea, they came there too. They, they, well, they upset the people and, and made trouble. So the believers immediately sent Paul away to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. So what we find here is that Paul has established a church there in Thessaloniki. Um, he has reached out to the Thessalonians. It's probably been there, we don't know, maybe three weeks to three months. He's established his church. And then, then all of a sudden they get jealous. And, and they basically run out of town. And so where does he run? He runs down the road to Berea. And so the people were so upset about Paul's teaching and what he was doing is that they actually chase him to Berea and he go and they throw him under the bus in Berea. And they say, hey, listen, don't listen to this guy. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He's bad news. And so evidently he felt threatened there and he literally leaves Berea and he finds his way all the way down to Corinth. And this is where we find when he's in Corinth there, he's actually, I think he's there about 18 months. And during that time while he's staying in Corinth, he writes back to the Thessalonians. And so what's very interesting is that there was Paul, his, his, you know, his right-hand guy is Timothy. And so he sends Timothy back to the Thessalonians and he's trying to encourage them and, and, and to give them some sense of hope. And hey, listen, hang in there. As I shared with you all last week, my sermon series or my sermon last week is about not throwing in the towel. And I had so many people had wrote me a, a beautiful note this last week. I've received so many wonderful thank you notes over the last week or two. And people really seemed to resonate with that message last week about not giving up and about throwing in the towel. And, and by the way, I, just a little commercial. I, I challenge you all the 16-week challenge about saying thank you to people. And I hope that you actually will take that to heart. I've been doing it. I hope that many of you all have been doing it, focusing on one person in your life that maybe has influenced your life in some positive way, and you reach out to them. Now, that may be through a thank you note. Maybe it's a telephone call or maybe of some kind of using social media or you're using your cell phone, taking a, a selfie or something like that, and send it to someone and say, hey, listen, thank you so much. And the reason why... I encourage you to do that because it really is, follows the teaching of Paul because right out the gate to this church at Philippi and also to the Thessalonians, he thanks them for holding faith, being faithful and being true. Now, listen, let me share with you all. How's that work? Yesterday afternoon, I was washing Donna's car for her and, and so... Um, the reason why it was so dirty is because she goes to bargains and blessings all the time. And you, she goes to the parking lot and she finds every single mud puddle. I just want you to know that. So I washed the car on Saturday. And so we're wa I washed in a car and all of a sudden I started thinking about this person. And I have not reached out to this person in 30 years. I probably have not talked to this person in 30 years. So um, I called him and, and it was my old high school basketball coach. 
His name is Gary Myers, and so um, I, I left a I got his number from a friend, and I, I reached out to him, and I basically was able to leave a message, and I said, hey, listen, Gary, this is a voice through pass. This is Harold Hendren from Lake Gibson High School, and I, I just want you to know, Coach Myers, how, how positive you influenced my life. I just wanted to say thank you for that part of my life, uh, my junior and senior year, and say, I just wanted to say thanks, Coach. And so I hope that I have a chance to reach out, actually communicate with him this week. That's how it works. That's how it works. And that maybe God, or through the gift of the Holy Spirit, puts somebody, uh, puts a thought or something in your heart, and you reach out, and don't delay and do it. Just pick up the phone, write a note, do something to be able to say thank you to another person. So I was thinking once again this last week. Um, so Paul is writing to his church at Thessaloniki. Um, he's encouraging them. He's remaining. Hey, listen, you need to remain faithful. By the way, the, the church at Philippi, if there's a theme, as I, I taught you all, is that there would be a theme about finding joy in the midst of adversity. Here we're finding, once again, finding faith and holding true to your faith in the midst of adversity. This is the theme that we find Paul's teaching to his Thessalonian church. And so it's very powerful. The word faithfulness here has a lot to do with steadfastness, obedience, and being trustworthy and holding true. And so Paul is encouraging them, and they're going through this persecution, and he realizes it's really tough, and he's sending Timothy back to encourage them and hold true and don't throw in the towel. And so this is what we find. But what I found out this last week, and I didn't have a chance to share this with you last week. I ran out of time, but I thought this is really powerful. Once again, Paul was always being criticized, wasn't he? That's the reason why he was always finding himself in prison or he's always having to run to another place, to the next place, to the next place. And because people were always trying to throw him in the bus and they were criticizing him over and over again. But what we don't really always realize is that if you go back and look at Thessalonians, you actually find out the, the things they were criticizing him about, and what I think is very interesting because evidently Paul had, uh, t- he had sent Timothy and Timothy had come back to Paul and said, Paul, they're doing amazing things. They're holding fast. They're actually doing what you asked them to do and they're being faithful. And so then Paul actually sends this letter back to the, to the Thessalonians and encourage them and hey, listen, hang in there. But I found this was very interesting because what Paul is really saying to the church of Thessalonians, he's saying, listen, I know that they're saying bad things about me, but don't buy into the lie. Because I know they're throwing me in the bus, but don't you, don't you dare believe them. For example, 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 says, when we encourage people to believe the good news, it's not out of our wrong motives. We're not trying to trick or fool anyone. Now, why would Paul write that down? Because he got wind, evidently through Timothy, hey, listen, you're not going to believe what they're saying about you, Paul. They're thinking that, they're, that you are trying to trick them or trying to fool them. And so this is what the people are trying to influence this church at Thessalonia and trying to tell them, hey, listen, don't listen to that guy. He's just blowing smoke. He's trying to fool you. He's trying to trick you. He's trying to manipulate you. So hence the reason why now Paul finds out what they're saying about him. And he writes in his letter back to Thessalonians saying, hey, listen, don't buy into their lie. He also says this. I thought this is interesting. He says, you know that we never tried to influence you by saying nice things about you. We were not trying to get your money. We had no greed to hide from you. God knows that this is true. In other words, what are they saying? They're trying to influence him. Hey, listen, not only is he trying to trick you, he's not trying to fool you. But they're, they're, say, they're saying, hey, he's trying to get your money. 
And so Paul's saying, hey, listen, don't buy the lie. I'm not out to get your money. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to pull you. Don't, bu- don't believe a word that they're saying. Then he goes on and says this, brothers and sisters, I know that you remember how hard we worked. We worked night and day to support ourselves so that we would not be a burden to anyone while we did the work of telling you the good news of Jesus Christ. So in other words, what Paul is saying, listen, we're not trying to take advantage. As a matter of fact, we're like moonlighting. We're doing, we're taking on extra jobs and we're not trying to be a burden to you. No, 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 we're willing to actually do the work on our own. So we're, try- we're supporting ourselves. So we're not out to manipulate you. We're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to fool you. We're not out to get your money. So don't buy into the lie. So everywhere Paul went, he's being criticized. Now listen, here's what I realize in my life. And I'm just to be truthful. I get criticized every week. I'm just telling you. I mean, I get an email, or I get a text, or I get a phone call, and somebody is not happy about something that's going, I I might have said something, or done something, or said something in my sermon, that people take it, and and so I get get it every single week. I totally understand that is about leadership, but I also know about being what I call constructive criticism, or growing areas of concern, and you know, I I totally understand that, and I'm self-aware enough enough to know that that people when people share something with me it comes from a genuine place in their heart and maybe there's something I can learn from that I totally understand that my mother taught me something I learned a very valuable lesson from my mother oh um, when I was a teenager she was here at this last service and this is what my mother taught me um when I was about, I don't know, maybe, um, maybe 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, my mother would correct my English over and over again. She was a school teacher. And so she would correct my English. And so being a teenager, that didn't always go over real well. You know, you're a little rebellious and you really don't want to hear that from your mother. And why are you correcting me? And I felt like she was being critical of me and blah, 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 blah. You know, it is when you're a rebellious 12, 13 year old. And then my mother finally said to me one day, she said, Harold Ray, I'm not critiquing you. I'm not criticizing you. I'm polishing you. So I'm polished today. (laughs) So her intention wasn't to put me down. Her intention was to raise me up that someday that I could stand in front of a couple thousand people and speak and be articulate. And that goes back to my mother and having a conversation when I was 12 or 13 years old. And so Paul, once again, he is, he, he's trying to convey this message that people are being critical of him and he's saying, hey, listen, don't buy into the lie. Okay, so um, that gives you a little backdrop today. So here, here's um, this last, see, it was Monday. Oh, my wife, come, Donna comes home and we had just finished supper. And, and so we, we have this friend, his name is Jeremiah, who's come over and he's doing some work for us at our house. And uh, Donna um, really wanted to have some new shelves put into her closet. And so, um, so Jeremiah is going to come on Tuesday to put the shelves in the closet. And she says, uh, she says, Harold, can you help me clean out my closet so we get ready for Jeremiah to come? And I thought, oh, this is great. I love clean out closets, right? I mean, when I 
wake up in the morning and I think, this is really what I want to do today. I really love cleaning out the closet. And I said, well, sure, honey, that, that's great. I'd be happy to help you. So we started getting all the stuff out of our, our closet, moving the stuff out around our, you know, to our bedroom and other closets all around the house. And because she's got a pretty good sized closet. And so I learned some things that were actually very thought provoking about when it comes to cleaning the closet. And I will share with you, here's a few thoughts. Um, so the first thought when I think about actually cleaning out of the closet, my, my wife thought, I thought this was very interesting. She, she kept saying, you know what? Um, when we were pulling stuff out, she says, I've been looking for that. I've been looking for that. I've been looking for that. And you know how closets are. I mean, closets are like an attic or a basement. If you have, you don't have basements in Florida, but you know how it is. It's kind of a catch-all for a lot of stuff. And sometimes we, we have stuff and we end up in our closet, but we forget we even have it and, or we, we misplaced it. And so she had this big kind of yellow clock that she's been looking for and it went into her classroom as a school teacher. So she kept finding things that she had been looking for and she kept been looking for that. Here's another interesting thing. She pulled out of the closet, and I hadn't seen this since 2019. She hinted this to me. It was a present. It was a Christmas present. And, um, and, and then she handed it to me, and I said, well, what's this? And she said, well, it's a Christmas present. And I said, well, what's it all about? She says, well, um, I wrapped this present for you to take to your staff Christmas party. In 2019, just before you had your car accident, and you never got to the Christmas party, and the present number got to the Christmas party, and I have no idea what's in here. I had people that came after me after the first service. She says, Pastor Harold, I really like to know what's in that Christmas present, right? You know what? I think I'm just going to leave it be for right now. It reminds me. I started thinking, you know, the other thing I found out about my wife, you know, she's a school teacher and she's also just a great mother. So, you know, it's interesting about, um, we have in part of her closet, she has all these, she's a very good shopper. And so what happens is after Christmas, you know what she does? She goes and she watches the bargains and how they drop stuff from 50% off to 75%. And when he gets to 90%, she buys. And so we have all these Christmas presents that she buys for our little great nieces and nephews. And she's got them in her closet. And she has a whole place all kind of perfectly organized for little, little Spider-Man things and lip gloss and little things like that. And she has a whole area of being a really good shopper. And she continued to remind me, Harold, I saved you a lot of money, she says. <laughs> so we have all that in our closet. And then I thought this was really interesting as I kept pulling things out of our closet is I kept finding little bits and pieces of my life in her closet. I mean, in other words, it's not just my life, but it's our family, our, our whole family with little bits and pieces of memorabilia or little things from our past. And I, I kept pulling things out. Like, for example, you know, like um, there's this, um, here's a picture of me when I was playing basketball in 10th grade. And that actually was a black and white photo. It ended up in the uh, Lakeland High School uh, yearbook. I, I found this little plaque that was in here and it was me coaching Cameron's basketball team maybe like, you know, 10 years ago. And then there was like this little ceramic thing from 1969, which was my handprint that my mother saved for me and gave to me. So we have all these little things in our closet, right? 
little bits and pieces of my life that remind me and remember me in my room of life. And then I, I said what I thought was very interesting, literally we had thousands and thousands of photographs that she has all there in this great big bin. And I happened just by random, just reached down and picked one up. And I said, well, that's a really cute picture of Luke. And then she says, let me see that. And so I showed it to her and then she says, that's not Luke, that's Jordan. You know what's interesting? It's really bad when you can't identify your own children. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I, I had no clue. They all look exactly the same. They all look like clones to me. And so, but Donna, being a mother, she knew every single photo, who took the picture, when the picture was taken, which child it was. And so it was amazing to me. Only a mother could do that. And I had a hard time even identifying my own children. But I thought that was interesting as we cleaned out our closet. These little bits and pieces of our life. And the last thing that I learned about cleaning out the closet this last week is that, um, well, you know how it is in closets. You got clutter in your closet. You got stuff in there that, you know what, you know, you hadn't cleaned out in a while and you suddenly realize, I don't really need that. So let me tell you what happens with your clutter in your closet. Either it can, and this literally happened yesterday because Donna put it all like in a bin and she took it down to bargains and blessings to sell. And the other thing is you take out a black garbage bag and you start taking all the clutter in your life and you put in the garbage bag and you put it out by the road. And so what Paul is saying to his church at Thessalonia is he's saying to the Thessalonians, listen, I realize that you got a bunch of clutter in your life. I realize that you got some stuff that really doesn't belong there. And you need to take it and you need to put it out by the road and get rid of it. He's being very intentional I mean, don't we all have some clutter in our life that maybe we need to take and put in a black garbage can and just maybe just take it and put it by the road and say, here, Lord, take this. I, I don't want to carry this burden anymore, right? This is what Paul's getting at. So in my sermon preparation this last week, I, I thought it was really interesting because what immediately when I got to this part of writing my sermon, I, I kept coming back to the, my, the communion liturgy so when my dad was preaching, when I was a little boy, you know, we'd have communion just about every week. And so we were out of the old hymnal. And so in the old hymnal, there was these different phrases. And this is actually, I found this in the book of worship uh, this week. And I went back and I did my research and I, I love this particular phrase. And for some reason, even from my childhood, this particular phrase stuck out in my mind. And maybe you all can remember it from your past. And this is how the phrase goes. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting our own righteousness, but in thy own manifold and great mercies, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. That phrase always got me. Because it just reminded me that, that what I was partaking in as far as Holy Communion was so much bigger than me. It was just powerful than me. It reminded me that I was to be humbled, that when we came to Holy Communion, it was a very humble place. It was a place that we could come and, well, take all the clutter of our lives and lay it at the altar, right? When it comes to Holy Communion, that's what it's about. It's about forgiveness and being realizing that Christ has made this atonement for you and for me and shed his blood for you and me for our salvation that we can, because of this amazing grace, we can have this perfect relationship with him and be made holy. If we're willing to take the garbage, to willing to take the clutter and just lay it at his feet. And so that phrase about coming humbly and to come and that I'm unworthy to gather up the crumbs, just the crumbs under Christ's table. Wow. That was just hit me. 
And then the other thing that always well, got me is these words that we find, and I, I found that there was a similar part of our liturgy. This actually came from the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you by our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. By what we have done and by what we have un- left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we are humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your, of your holy name. Amen. And, and so when I, I started thinking about that part of my life and reflecting back is, wow, we're, you know... If I'm, Paul's saying to us today, we're supposed to be pleasing to God. So how can I please God with my thoughts and my words and my deeds? And so in our communion liturgy, we, we hear these words and it's so often, I don't know about you all, but I have fallen short. And that's why I need to be repentant of my own actions because I haven't always been obedient and been faithful by my thoughts and my words and my deeds. Can I have amen on that? So when you put it in perspective and you think about this, what, what Paul is encouraging the church at Thessaloniki, the Thessalonians, he listen, I, I need for you to be faithful. I, I need for you to be faithful and I'm encouraging you to hang in there and don't throw in the towel. I know you're being persecuted. I know that they're throwing me in the bus. I know they're trying to say that I'm trying to trick you. I'm trying to fool you. I'm out to get your money, but it's all a lie. It's not true. I'm all about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I'm encouraging you to be faithful to the good news of Jesus Christ. And what that really means is to be pleasing to God by your thoughts and your words and your deeds. Now, here's an interesting thing. This thing, um, you give a little illustration. So... um, about this last week, I, uh, I have like two plants that walk, as we walk them to the front door of our house. I've got this plant that I've had, I don't know, maybe two or three years. I've continued to nurture. I actually bought it at Walmart, and I've done a really good job of taking really good care. Man, it was just doing great this summer, and it was doing, it was great. I had, I had watered it, and even though it was hot out, it was doing good. Then, then, um, and then I had this other plant that I've actually had for maybe three or four years. It's an impatient I actually planted, and it was doing amazing. It was just a beautiful spray of purple and it was just doing great. And all of a sudden, those two plants started wilting and I kept watering it and I wasn't doing much. And I think I'm going to lose these plants. So I went down to Walmart and I bought some of this stuff. And I don't know if you are familiar with it, but it's called miracle Grow. And miracle Grow is supposed to fix everything. You just sprinkle all this stuff on there and it's going to make my plants look great. Well, let me show you what happened to my plant. Here's what happened. I killed it. I just want you to know. This is because I put too much miracle grow on my plant and it's going to take a miracle for it to come back to life. So here's my point. Sometimes too much of a good thing isn't always a good thing. Now think about that. So what Paul is saying to his church at Thessaloniki, his Thessalonians, he's saying, listen, what the Romans are trying to do is they're trying to get you to conform to their culture to their way because Thessaloniki and Philippi are both on that road. They're all part of the Roman colonies. They're along with Colossia and the people of Galatia. And once again, they're all under this Roman influence. And so what is the Roman influence telling them? Hey, listen, conform to the way we are. And so 
If Paul says, listen, if you're gonna conform to the way that they are, it's not gonna be pleasing to God. Matter of fact, if you go to the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians and you see there what Paul really is talking about, he's talking about sexual immorality. And he says, listen, if you conform to their way, because see, when it came to the Romans, they were all about what I would call hedonism or they're very narcissistic. And it was all about, you ready for this? It wasn't about pleasing God, it was about pleasing me. It was about pleasing themselves. It was all about self-gratification, instant gratification. And so Paul takes that and he talks about that in the fourth chapter about, listen, falling into this trap of sexual immorality. He says, listen, that's not going to please God if you fall into their trap because it's not, it's not going to please God. It's really not where God wants you to be. So Paul says, listen, if you fall in that trap, it's going to be toxic. It's not going to be good for you. See, the Romans were all about, once again, it was all about pleasing themselves. It was about hedonism has to do with, let me gain the most pleasure with the least amount of pain. That's hedonism. And the idea of narcissism is all about self-gratification. What can I do? It's all about me and this, this idea. And so Paul is saying to them, listen, you know, have you heard that expression, um, uh, when in Rome, do as the, do it as the Romans do. Paul is saying, do the opposite. When in Rome, don't do as the Romans. In other words, he's saying, you're, you're part of a Roman colony. You're part of the Philippi and, and uh, Thessaloniki. And he listen, don't fall into the trap of the Romans. Now, what I found was very interesting. You understand the context. Because see, now, nowadays, we've taken that and we've used it in the way, do in Rome as you, do as, do, uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And so we fall into that kind of trap. It means like, well, just kind of conform to where you are. What was very interesting when I did my detective work and my message for this week, here's interesting you go back to the and you can google this because they asked me after the service last the last service um the original origin of when in rome do as the or romans do it came from the fourth century and the first person who actually said that was saint augustine and he was talking to saint ambrose and so literally what happened was is saint augustine was actually living in rome as an early christian and spreading the good news of Christ, the christian faith and so he moved from rome to milan and what he found was when he was in rome the early christians would continue to fast on saturday and when he went to milan what he found was the christians were not fasting on saturday and so the Romans, the early Christians in Rome were actually doing what they were supposed to be doing, but when we get to Milan, they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And so him and Ambrose had this conversation, well, when in Rome, you do as the Romans do. In other words, he was connecting, this was a good thing. So the original connotation of that origin of that phrase, it was really more of a positive thing. It had to do with your spirituality. It had to do with fasting on Saturday for the early Christians. So Paul's saying ultimately in the first century, hey, listen, don't do as the Romans do. Because if you fall in that trap, it ain't gonna be pleasing to God. So I was thinking about this this last week and reflecting upon it because once again, over and over again, we find this culture that it's, it's, it's very powerful because Paul is saying, listen, remain faithful and faithfulness has everything to do with steadfastness and steadfastness has everything to do with, once again, putting others first. And so I... 
ultimately, Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to give you a goal. And the goal is this. And we find this in 1 Thessalonians. It says, I'm urging you and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who has called you into his own kingdom and glory. I love that. So the goal for Paul of living a life that's pleasing to God and not pleasing to me is ultimately has everything to do with living a life that's worthy of God. And that has to do with being faithful. And then Paul and his genius, you ready for this? Paul says, listen, if you're going to be obedient, you're going to please God and you want to be faithful, he takes it and he leads it to another, well, a deeper level and a deeper meaning. And this is what he says. You ready? We pray that the Lord will make your love grow. We pray that he will give you more and more love for each other and for all the people. We pray that you, you will love everyone in the same way we love you. This will strengthen your desire to do what is right and you will be holy and without fault before our God and our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again with his holy people. Okay, you ready? This is great. So Paul is saying, listen, if you want to have a goal in life and you want to please God, it really is about faithful. But all of a sudden he connects this idea of faithfulness has to do with loving people. Okay, now where does that, where do we get this? Okay, so next Saturday, you ready? Next Saturday, I'm doing a wedding. Now what's great about having kids is they grow up and they finally move away. This is a beautiful thing. I mean, they finally move out of the house. Okay, so uh, um, what has happened in my family is my kids, as they've gotten older, their friends have come to me and asked me to marry them. So Jordan's best friend, Roscoe, is getting married. He's actually marrying a girl, and her name is Emily, and they're getting married down behind Walmart. Evidently, Emily's family has some property there, and we're going to have a barn wedding, which is cool. And so we're going to be doing that next Saturday night. So what's interesting is I was reflecting upon this image of love, because what Paul is saying there is he's using the word, there's different Greek words for love, right? So there's philia, which has to do with brotherly love. There's another type of love, which has to do with more, more of an erotic kind of love with sexuality. But then this love is agape love. That's the connotation. That's the context that Paul's talking. So agape love, you ready? has everything to do with selfless love. It's not about me. It's about the other people. It's about extending this love to another human being. And it's not being about selfish, but being selfless, sacrificial. Okay, one minute. So what's interesting is how often have we ever heard this? Maybe your friends, maybe your family. Somebody ends up getting divorced because they have been what? Unfaithful. Because... They have broken this law, they have with this covenant, and they, there's a sense of infidelity. The original connotation of the word fidelity goes back to the Latin, and the Latin has to do with the word faithful. And what's very powerful, what Paul is saying is, when it comes to our relationships with each other, even in our marriages with each other, he's talking about being, when it, when we think about love, it has to do with our day-to-day journey, our morning-by-morning journey, our week-to-week journey, our year-to-year journey in life and being faithful. And faithful is connected with love. And love, as Paul talks about it, is about sacrificial love. It's about selfless kind of love. It's about agape love. So when I took my marriage vows to take Mrs. Hendren to love and to hold for death, do us part. So the idea what Paul's talking is, Harold, you need to be, 
You need to extend agape love to your wife day to day, morning by morning, week in and week out, because it's really not about you. It's about extending selfless love to another human being. So we find that in the connotation of the idea about our love and our relationship with our marriages, but also it has everything to do with our relationship with each other. So Paul is talking about when it comes to being faithful, he's talking about being loving, and loving has to do with a selfless act of caring for another human being. And he says, now that will please God. Did you get that? I also got that phone going there too. There you go. So I'll close with this thought. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Where have I heard that? Well, Angie and Ryan just sang that. By the way, wasn't that fantastic? Oh, yeah, that was great. We loved it. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. I did my detective work. And I found out because I asked him to sing that song for us this week because that song was written by a guy by the name of Thomas Chisholm. And Thomas, well, I love this about Thomas. He was born in Franklin, Kentucky <laughs> in a log cabin in 1866. Now, but you all didn't know that. And so he literally, what I love when I did my research on Thomas is that you know, he was born poor, and the people who wrote about that was, um, about his life was the idea of how he was a very unassuming person, how he was uh, just a, a person that would never, you know, was just a very simple person. Well, I also found about Thomas's life was his whole life he struggled with... Um, pain, evidently, with um, some kind of ailment. So every day that he, um, he would wake up and he realized that Christ continued to be faithful to him, day in, day out, morning in, morning out. Wow, now I have a new understanding about that hymn. So he wrote a poem, and that poem became a hymn. Great is thy faithfulness. It all goes back to as he realized in his relationship with Jesus Christ, it had everything to do with realizing that Christ continued to remain faithful to him day in, day out, morning by morning. New mercies I see. Faithfulness. So the good news for all of us to think about today is Christ continues to be faithful to us. Paul encourages us to continue to be faithful to each other, to be faithful to him, to be faithful to our spouses. And Paul says, this will please God. This will please our Heavenly Father. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. I'll close with this thought. Let's all go home and clean our closets. <laughs> <laughs>